This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Philippians 4, we're saying goodbye to a friend. Whenever I study one of these books and teach it, it feels like a friend. It feels like we're saying goodbye to a friend today. Uh, it'll still be in your Bibles. But uh, we're saying goodbye to Philippians today and all that we've learned. Next week we start a, a, a short series called Refocus. We're going to refocus on our values, pulling everybody together and focusing on our values and our mission, what we're about as a church. We'll be doing that. And uh, then after that we've got something very exciting to wrap up the year on. I'll let you know later. So here we go. We're going to wrap up Philippians starting in verse 14 um, and to the end of the chapter. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, this is the last section, obviously, in the entire letter. And he's going he's gonna to wrap up by, uh, by, by sort of highlighting some of the things he's already mentioned in the letter and bringing them to conclusion. But before we jump in verse by verse through this text, let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word Fellowship. How, if I were to just you know, stick a mic in front of you and ask you to define fellowship, how would you define it? What do you think about it? It's kind of a religious word, isn't it? Kind of a churchy word. If you grew up in a church kind of like I did, uh, you may have had a fellowship hall. And you, anybody have a, grow up in a church with a fellowship hall? Yes. So many of you know what a, you know what a fellowship hall is. As a kid, that's like a room of torture because like you got to go in there in a tie and stand around while adults talk like for years at a time it felt like and the only good thing about the fellowship hall when I was a kid was when the senior ladies would make you know like cookies and punch then the fellowship hall rocked but otherwise it was just kind of adults just standing around and drinking coffee and kind of talking and so evidently that's where fellowship happens it happens in a big room when we build over on Frisco Square where we're not going to have a fellowship hall because it's just, I don't know how they used to do it. It's way too expensive to just have a huge room uh, where we stand around and drink coffee. So we can't do that, uh, but, but it's a room where people talk, and so that's fellowship. Or sometimes it's part of Christian lingo. If you're not a Christian or you're new, you may, let me prepare you, you may hear someone use this, uh, probably inappropriately, but you may hear someone use fellowship. So it's like, come over and watch, come over and watch the game this afternoon, watch the game and have some fellowship. So if you're watching the game with unbelievers, you're watching the game. But if Christians are there, it's fellowship, I guess. And if you're watching the Cowboys, it's a fellowship of suffering this afternoon. And so you commiserate together. So it's a fellowship. We watch the game together. Well, I 
probably we could set our, high, uh, you know, our goals a little higher than standing in a room, drinking coffee, or watching a game. Now, you could be having fellowship during those times, for sure. But, but maybe it's a little bit more than that. So one way we've talked about it in our church is that fellowship is, it, it means common or sharing. It is sharing together with other Christians what we have in common in Christ. It's sharing our life in Christ together. It's talking about him and what he's doing in our life. It's opening up our lives and talking about what our needs might be, opening up our lives and celebrating what God's doing in our life, celebrating his victories. And fellowship is a sharing of our life together in Christ. That's true. Uh, but that's not complete. To what we're going to see today is fellowship is more than just talking with Christians at the church building. It's more than just having Christians over in our home. Even if we're talking about the Lord at halftime or whatever, I don't know, but even if we're talking about the Lord, it's more than just gathering with another Christian over coffee or in a small group and opening up our lives about our faith. This passage we're looking at today shows us that it's really something more. And what this passage broadens our understanding about fellowship is it shows that fellowship is more than words. Fellowship is more than the exchange of words in a hall at Starbucks or in a living room for community group. Fellowship involves that, but it's more than that. Fellowship is, is, about, is also tied to our gospel mission to get the gospel to others, and fellowship is tied to how we do that. And the passage we're about to read, that we just read, that we're about to study, shows that fellowship in the gospel, or we could call it gospel fellowship, is tangible partnership in mission for the glory of God. Gospel fellowship is tangible, it's very tangible, partnership together in mission for the glory of God. That is the heart of this passage. This is about fellowship as tangible partnership and mission for the glory of God. So I wanna, I'm gonna use the word gospel fellowship and I'm very careful. I know we toss out the word gospel as an adjective all the time. It's like a gospel church. It's like a gospel group. It's like gospel hip hop. It's like gospel shopping. I don't know, gospel whatever. So we gotta be careful with that. But I'm using it here because it's in the text. It's exactly what Paul says. So the first thing is I want to talk about the nature of gospel fellowship, the nature of gospel fellowship in the way Paul's using it here. So I'm not undermining anything. I'm not, I'm not negating anything we've taught here before. I'm just expanding and broadening it. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble Paul is grateful to the Philippians that they have shared his trouble. Now, how have they done that? If you go back to verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What's he talking about? You had a heart to support me, but you had no opportunity. The passage we just read today shows now they have had an opportunity. Verse 18 tells us that Epaphroditus brought gifts to Paul, who is imprisoned. They brought gifts to him to support him. So he's saying, now you, I'm grateful that you are sharing in my trouble. He brought gifts to them. Now, the, to share in, if you have an ESV Bible, it, it says to share in, there'll be a little note there. And if you look down at the footnote, it says that it means to have fellowship in. It's the same word for fellowship. Translated elsewhere, partnership, fellowship, something like that. So here's what he's saying is, you sent gifts to me and that was a fellowship in my suffering. They did more than talk. They did more than have punch in a room. 
They did more, they opened their lives. Paul opens his life all over this book. Says, look at my example, look at what the Lord's doing. Major verbal fellowship, sharing of heart in this book. But he does something more. He said, you shared in my suffering as you, you, you fellowshiped in my trouble as you sent a gift. Why did they send a gift? To support him as he is doing the mission of evangelism and church planting, as he is reaching out. They are sharing in his trouble by funding him. And I love what he says here. It, it, it's, it's you shared in it. They didn't just cut a check mindlessly. Okay, it's, it's, uh, it's missionary week. Uh, Paul's our missionary. Let's all just kind of give a check. No, it was more than that. It was like a heart sharing. There is this fellowship. It's a relational term. Cutting a check doesn't necessarily mean relationship. This is, it's financial support. It's tangible gifts. That is a sharing of heart. They are joining with him in heart. They are joining with him in purpose. It was kind of you to fellowship in my trouble. And they've done this from the beginning. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, and by that he doesn't mean like the moment Jesus resurrected, that was the beginning of the gospel. What he means is when they first received the gospel and this church was planted in Philippi. So, and he started this church. So he said, at the beginning of the gospel, when I first brought the gospel to you and we started this church in Philippi, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he says, I came, brought you the gospel. Lydia was converted. Uh, the jailer was converted. We don't know who else. Maybe the slave girl was converted. People were converted. The church started. I moved on. And no one in all of Macedonia, which was a region they were in, no one else supported me but you guys. Now look what word he uses to describe their giving and receiving. It's the word partnership. No church entered into partnership, which contains the same root as sharing in it. It contains the same uh, base word. You, you would maybe even have heard the word koinonia. That's part of the word. Uh, that, that's fellowship there. So no other church entered into a fellowship with me. That's a, that's a fair way to say it entered into a partnership, a fellowship. It's the same word he used at the beginning in chapter one. If you look back at chapter one, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what he's saying. We've been in a gospel fellowship, a partnership in the gospel. It's a sharing of life it's a tangible partnership for the mission of taking the gospel forward and all of that for the glory of God. I, I think this is wonderful, and I think it'd be a wonderful way, it might be a little awkward, but it'd be a wonderful way to express our tangible partnerships together, that it's part of our fellowship, that part of our, our fellowship is shared in tangible ways. And when Paul speaks of the Philippians and their gifts to him and their support, I think it's wonderful that he speaks this way. He doesn't, he doesn't refer to them as donors. You Philippians are my donor base. He doesn't say that. He sure doesn't say what I've heard some fundraising, in some fundraising circles, this language used, nonprofit fundraising. Uh, you are giving units. Oh my, giving, he doesn't refer to them as giving units. Giving units at best is impersonal, at worst is totally dehumanizing. It'd be like calling your teenage son an eating unit, <laughs> which might be an accurate description, but wouldn't be very kind. He's not an eating unit, he's family. 
Paul doesn't say, you're the donor base. Paul doesn't say, you are the giving units. Paul says, we are in fellowship so that you shared in my trouble by sending gifts. No one else entered into a fellowship with me of giving and receiving, verse 15, in all of Macedonia except you. Hey, this is unusual. Paul planted other churches in Macedonia, but only the Philippians kept sending stuff to fund him, to help him, to encourage him, to provide for his needs. This is a rare kind of fellowship. I'm all for the kind of costly fellowship in which we open our lives to one another, in which we're patient and caring and helping one another, in which we are bringing truth to one another, hearing truth, sharing life, celebrating Jesus together. That is vital, core part of fellowship. But this kind of fellowship is perhaps, and that can be costly, this kind can even be more costly. Because here they're saying, man, the, the Philippians, no, the other churches weren't doing this, but the Philippians had skin in the game when it took to taking the gospel to other cities. They were giving, they had ownership, they had responsibility. They were funding the mission from their hearts in a relational way because gospel fellowship is tangible partnership in mission. That's at least part of it. It's tangible partnership in mission for the glory of God. It goes beyond words. It's saying I'm in and here's a demonstrable evidence that I'm in. The Philippians are not spectators. They're not just saying, go Paul. They're not cheering him on from a distance saying, hope that works out. I hope they're cheering him on. I hope they're praying for him. I hope they're remembering him, absolutely. But they're doing something else. They are giving a gift to speed his ministry. They are partnering in a very tangible way. They are invested in God's mission in a costly way. And that's the whole occasion for this letter. So this letter, I've talked about this letter being about rejoicing and joy because that's the term that's used most frequently. Of course it is. That, is. that is really it. But the whole purpose of the letter is it's a thank you note. Paul is writing back to the Philippians because Epaphroditus has brought their gift. And he's writing back to say, Epaphroditus is okay. I want to send him back. I want to let you know how, it's, how I'm doing. It's going great. People are receiving the Lord. People in Caesar's household are receiving the Lord. I don't even know if I'm going to live or die. If I die, that would be better because I go be with Jesus. If I don't die, then I get to continue to serve you. That's what he's saying. And speaking of serving, he's telling the whole church, let's look to Christ. And the way he serves, he laid down his very life. He's just walking through all these things with them. He's telling them, hey, I'm content. We looked at that last week. I'm content in jail, and here's how. So he's, he's opening his life up to them. He's doing all that, and now at the end of the letter, he's coming back and saying, oh, by the way, the whole occasion of this letter is the gift you sent. Let me comment on that on the way out. Thank you. Thank you for the gift. As a matter of fact, nobody else did what you do. And, and, and it's, not just, it's not just a small thing. It is fellowshipping in my trouble. It is a partnership that you entered into in giving and receiving from the very beginning. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs again, at once and again. He's going back and remembering what they've done. And he says, even after, he was in Thessalonica a very brief period of time, not long after he was in Philippi. So these new Christians send money to help fund him reaching people in another city in Thessalonica. And so they have done this from the beginning. And he's remembering that. 
And he's, he's got a fond memory of your fellowship. You weren't just looking for a tax-deductible donation. You weren't just finding a charity that you could feel good about contributing to. We're in this thing together, he says. Wonderful. I wonder when we give to the ministry of this church or the mission beyond this church, do we think of it in this way? It's easy to think of giving as sort of paying a bill. Okay, I give a regular amount, and this is what I'm going to give, and it's like paying a bill. You know, did you get the electric bill? Did you get the mortgage or the rent payment? Did you pay the church for the month? You know, it could almost be like a bill, but this is something that's very much deeper, relational, partnership. It sounds very different. Partnership for the sake of mission. And the Philippians example is compelling. A giving that reflects a sharing together in the mission. Do we think that way? It's true as we give beyond our local church as well. I, I mentioned earlier in the introduction that we're part of a, um, a family of churches, a union of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches. Actually, reading this passage, I would say we're part of a fellowship of churches that plant church, start churches together. So this church was started because someone gave as part of a fellowship of churches to start this church. And so even as we give beyond this, to the, to the uh, family of churches we're part of, or as even as we give beyond this to support someone like the Hares who are in our church and are doing Bible translation in Cameroon or some other ministry that is starting churches, that is preaching the gospel, that's taking the gospel to those who don't know Christ. As we do those kinds of things, are we just thinking, oh yeah, that's something, I, that's a good idea. Or are we thinking, no, I'm connecting in, there's a connection in my heart, I want a connection in my heart. And if not, we wanna ask the Lord, Lord, give me, as I give in my church, give me a vision for a united family mission that we're on together. And I'm saying, I'm in. I'm a part of this. I've got skin in the game. I'm owning the responsibility of the mission of my church because I'm not a donor. I'm part of the family. I'm part of the fellowship sharing together. I'm a living partner that's participating in a tangible way. That's what Paul's saying to them. The way he describes this fellowship in the gospel, that's what he says. He says, uh, at the beginning of the gospel, verse 15, that's why I'm saying gospel fellowship, because he said this partnership started at the beginning when you heard the gospel. So this gospel fellowship, it it shapes the way we steward our own resources and give. It it shapes the way. Now, there's a place to give money in some charitable way with someone I don't have a relationship with. That's fine. I'm I'm not bashing that and saying that's wrong. But I'm saying as we give together and as we're on mission together, we want to think in these terms, the way that he speaks of here. Now, full disclosure, I receive a salary from the church, and uh, it's fixed. It's not commission. So if you're new here, uh, I always ask that. When I go into a retail place or somebody, and somebody starts showing me some sale, that's one of the first questions I always ask. Now, do you work off commission? I mean, I just want to know that. Not that you won't steer me and give me good advice, but you might have ulterior motives if you're on commission. So uh, I, I am not on commission uh, at all. Uh, and so you may say, is this kind of awkward that you're telling us this and um, you're employed by the church? Well, I don't know if it's awkward for you. It, it's not awkward for me for two reasons. One is I'm trying to just tell you what God says in the Bible, and I, it's never awkward to preach God's word. So it's not awkward for that reason. But it's also not awkward because though we are imperfect, your pastors, though we are imperfect, I, I, we desire, and I believe we do, have the same heart that Paul has when he tells them about giving. 
Look what he says. This is our heart as well. Look what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. They've given him, thank you. It means everything. You're part, we're partnering together. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Look, look what Paul is saying. Thank you for the gift which funds the ministry God has called me to. Thank you that we're in this together, that we're partnering together. Thank you for that. But, but I'm telling you this, Paul says, I don't want something from you. I've got what I need. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. That's what he says. That's sincere. That's the word of God. He says, I want something for you. That's the heart of gospel partnership, that, that everyone wants something to benefit someone else. That's why he said in chapter two, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so Paul is saying, thank you for this gift, which allows me to be free to preach the gospel. Or actually, at this point in his ministry, is just supplying his needs while he's in prison. So thanks for that. I'm thankful that it, uh, there's a benefit I'm cared for, but I, I'm more thankful that there's a benefit to you. That's what he says. He literally says, this is kind of almost hard to process. He says, it's not the gift I seek, it's the fruit that increases to your credit. The ESV has an alternative, uh, an alternate translation down in the, uh, in the footnote that says, I seek the profit that accrues to your credit. This is fruitful for you. This is uh, a benefit to you. How is that? How is it a benefit? How are they making, sort of accruing a profit to their account? Is he talking about they're going to get some earthly reward, some present day reward? Well, he doesn't say. We don't know. Is he saying that you will get an eternal reward? Uh, he doesn't say. We, we don't know exactly, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what he means by this. But here's what's very clear, is that he believes there is a blessing for the Philippians in their fellowship with him, which is expressed through a tangible uh, support of his uh, ministry as a church planting uh, apostle. So he believes they're blessed by that. That's very clear. That's very clear. So it could be something eternal. Jesus said, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, which is using, uh, you know, using what we have to serve others, to care for others to care for the poor, to meet needs, and to fund gospel ministry. So it, it could be that. Uh, th there could be blessings that come right now, temporally. And, and what, I'm not uh, what I'm not preaching here is that if you give so much, God's going to give back to you re a required amount so much. Uh, Paul gave a lot, I'm assuming, and he gets executed. So... It, there's no kind of promise on that, that if you give this much in this life, you'll see this return. But I can tell you this, um, it, as a general principle, there are blessings that come to the generous. That is a general principle. And this is also a general principle, that, or not a general principle, this is a specific, specific truth that Jesus teaches in the, in the book of Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul says, I'm glad to receive what you've given, but the greater blessing is for the Philippians in their giving. That's the truth. I'm sure he's thankful for the blankets, the food, uh, the muffins, the cash. I don't know what's in all the gifts he received. I don't know what's all there, but I'm sure he's grateful. But he, he's saying they're going to be blessed, and Jesus says that. So he's saying, I'm excited because you're caring for me. I'm excited because there's a partnership 
We're in this together. So when something happens in our church, we're all able to say we're in this together. And there's a joy that comes in relationally being united in fellowship. That's a joy. It's more of a blessing to give than to receive. So ultimately, he says, all of that, it's more than, than what, it, uh, what it means to me. It, it means to me more that, it, that, that you're blessed by it. That's really the heart of gospel fellowship. That's really the, the heart of it. I'm going to talk now about the goal of gospel fellowship. The goal of gospel fellowship. The heart of it is kind of a mutual giving and receiving that we all share in together as we're partners um, in mission together. And then we are, uh, as a church and beyond, and then the goal of the fellowship is really shared next. The passage goes on to explain the real purpose in their giving. Now, I could, in the sermon right now, and it'd be an earlier lunch and some of you would rejoice, but I could end it right now and say, the Philippians gave, and that is a good model. Now, give like the Philippians, you are dismissed. We could end there. But you would be cheated out of the rest of the passage. You'd be cheated out of seeing what the motive the ultimate motive for their fellowship, their stewardship, their partnership with Paul. What is the ultimate, what is the why? It is very, very important to ask why questions. Very important. And it's important to know because why gives us vision for something. We can demonstrate a practice we can demonstrate an action. We can say, hey, do this. But if it's done mindlessly, if it's not done by faith, and if it's not done with a biblical understanding of why, then, then it's, it's potentially meaningless. I don't know about you, but I got caught up a little bit, uh, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, well, I probably should be, but I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I got caught up a little bit in the Apple Live event this week. Some of you saw that. Some of you saw that. I didn't... I didn't see it all, I was in a meeting. But as quickly as I could end the meeting, I saw the second half of it. <laughs> just in time to find out about the Apple Watch wearable technology. And I don't, I don't really talk about you know, Apple or being a big fanboy of them or anything like that because I used an Apple product once in a sermon illustration in about 2006 or seven in this church. It was when iPods were still in, I don't even think, do they make iPods anymore, I don't know. But I had an iPod, I held it up and said, called it my precious. And uh, <laughs> then I put it on the music stand and stepped back as Aaron Mayfield got up to give a testimony. And Aaron Mayfield got up to give a testimony and touched the music stand and my precious fell and broke. In front of God, in front of God and everyone, I was, re well, that was more than a rebuke, man, it broke my iPod. So I haven't mentioned Apple since 2006, 2007. So if I go out there and like my car blew up, or it probably, I don't, I'm, just risk it with me for a second, will you? Uh, so anyway, I uh, was watching the event and I came away, I'm not bashing, I'm not, I'm not being critical here at all. I'm being very sincere. If you watched it, it very much looked like a worship service to me. And I'm not trying, I'm not going to do a Jesus juke on you and say, hey, why can't you love Jesus like they love iPhones or something? I'm not going to do that deal that's been overplayed on football games. And why don't we cheer for Jesus like they do at the football game? Um, same reason we don't take our shirt off, get drunk and paint our faces on Sunday morning. So that's way overplayed. But uh, so anyway, I'm watching it, but I'm thinking this is like a worship service, seriously. 
It had all the aspects of orchestra. It had eager people who were hearing revelation. There, it, a mystery was being revealed. That's what Paul says, the gospel is a mystery revealed. And so up on the big screen is, here's the new product, the greatest phone ever created. Something like that was the line. So here's like, ooh and ah. So they're in awe of a revelation and this is the announcement of good news. There's good news, your life will be forever changed because now we can do everything you want on a watch. And so good news is being announced, people are excited about it, and we have a closing worship hymn. <laughs> Literally, if you saw it, you know that at the end of the thing, out from the curtain, U2 comes, U2 plays live, and then they get up and talk about good news, talk about grace. They get up and, and you two says, or the, the, the president says, Tim Cook says, okay, in your iTunes library, you, know how, you now have the uh, U2 album. We've given it free to 500 million people. If you didn't know that, look in your iTunes library, you have it. 500 million people are getting it for free. And it's a free gift that costs someone because Apple paid them uh, an exorbitant amount of money from what I read, an exorbitant amount of money for that music so they could give it away. So there's a free gift to everyone because someone paid a price and we're celebrating and there's music and there's wonder. And I got, man, I got caught up in it. And uh, then I stood back and I go, why? What was all of this about? I'm sure there's some humanitarian things about we're going to have better communication now that we can actually, your, the, the watch will take your heartbeat and send it to someone else, like that's something we are all really lacking in communication. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's part of the technology. I thought, I can only do that to one person, my wife, and I think she'd be creeped out if she's sitting along there and all of a sudden her wrist starts shaking with my heartbeat. I mean, can you imagine sending a text? Oh, is that a text? No, Pete's just sending me his heartbeat. <laughs> but, well, who would use that? Anyway, I'm sure there's some... I'm sure there's some goal for humanitarian communication. I believe that. I do believe they're a company that will donate proceeds to help charitable organizations. Absolutely. Some of their profits will go to make, humanity, to make this world a better place. Absolutely. They will alleviate some suffering, sure. But the bottom line for the whole event was the bottom line. To create a buzz so that profits increase and they sell more phones and watches. There's a reason that he's the highest paid CEO of any company in the US. It, ultimately, it's about making a profit. That's the reason. And when I saw that, this is why we're gathered, I was able to step back and evaluate everything a little bit differently. I believe good product, but I believe there's, there's a reason. And it's not a bad reason, I'm a capitalist, it's not a bad reason. Businesses are in business to make money. Not a bad thing. So why? What is the why for what we do? When we gather here, what is the why? That is so important because it looks totally different. Just like the event I described to you looked very different to me when I asked the why. This is, why are we gathered? Why are we singing? Why are we hearing me talk for 45 minutes? Why are we uh, giving? Why did we give this morning? That's, that's the specific question in this passage, why? Verse 20 gives it. Paul at the end of the letter says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. He says, all of what I'm talking to you about is for the glory of God. The, the goal of a gospel fellowship, is it to support Paul? Yes. Is it to reach the lost? Yes. Is it to evangelize in jail, Caesar's household? Yes. Is it for Paul to have something to eat? Yes. Are they giving for mission? Yes, but the ultimate reason is to, the, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. This is how he says it. Look back at verse 18. He says, I received the gifts you sent, verse 18, a fragrant offering, 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Fragrant offering, they didn't send him you know, a fragrance. That's not what he's saying. He's, it's, a, it's a picture of what God says an Old Testament offering is. When an animal is sacrificed before God multiple times in the Old Testament, I think 40 times or something, this kind of language is used. An animal sacrifice was a fragrant offering that as you, as you smell burning meat on your grill, when you cook on your grill, an, a burnt, uh, an offering, an animal that was burned, there was an aroma that went up, and you'd be familiar with that aroma if you, you know, cook on the grill. And it's saying that's pleasing to the Lord. Why? It represents their devotion to their God. It represents worship to him. And so it's a fragrant offering. It's acceptable. It's pleasing to God. That's the goal. So why are they giving? Why are they supporting Paul? There's a lot of reasons. Their fellowship, they're joined together. Yes, yes, yes. But ultimately, it's worship. It's pleasing to God. It's verse 20. It's to God our Father be glory forever and ever. That's why they're doing what they're doing. It's not just to speed the gospel mission. It is that, but it's more than that. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. It's an honor to the Lord. It's worship to the Lord. Paul was cared for, but more importantly, God was worshiped and God was pleased. The Philippians were in partnership, yes, but more importantly, God was worshiped and God was pleased by their partnership. Lost people met Jesus. We're going to read that in a second. Lost people are converted, yes, but ultimately, God is worshiped and God is pleased by those lost people who are now singing praise to him. So it's all for the glory of God. We want to connect our giving and our mission to God's glory and note that every sacrifice pleases him. Ultimately, whatever you do for the glory of God pleases him. That's another message for another day. This is very specific, what Paul's talking about here. But anything done for the glory of God, you can bring glory to God. You can worship God on your job, diapering, you know, your 10-month-old having recreation, whatever you're doing, you can do it for the glory of God. But this is talking specifically about their giving to support Paul. And in the middle of all this God-glorifying language appears this wonderful verse. I hate to do this two weeks in a row because I think we lost one last week when I talked about context. I'm going to have to do that again. This is maybe the most quoted verse in the, or misquoted verse in the whole book as well as in verse 19. In the middle of this fragrant offering to our God and Father be glory forever, this is what he says in the middle of it. This is how we normally quote it. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But that's a misquote because actually it reads, and my God will supply. If you walked in the room and heard the end of a conversation and I said, and that was the best experience of my whole life. Would you say, oh, okay, I got that. We'd say, well, what was it? What, what came before and? And that was the best experience of my whole life. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed the first part. What, what was it? Tell me, what was it? The, it's connected to something. My God will supply all your needs. It's connected to the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The and is that these folks had given sacrificially to fund gospel mission because they cared about the lost, because they were in mission together, because they cared about Paul and he had a need, and ultimately because they wanted to honor the Lord with a pleasing sacrifice, a pleasing aroma. They wanted to glorify him. That, that's why they did all that. 
And so Paul is here reassuring them. Now, I believe this statement stands on its own. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We could find other places in the Bible that teach us the same thing. That is a truth that you can hold. God will supply my needs. The Bible says it. That's a, that's a truth you can hold. But the context here is that this is likely an encouragement and a comfort to them because it looks like their needs aren't going to be met because they've given what would meet their needs to Paul. We know from 2 Corinthians, I, I, I read this last week uh, to us all. We know in 2 Corinthians that this is the description that Paul gives of the Philippians. These are the churches in Macedonia. Verse, uh, chapter 8, he says this, We want you to know, my brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. Now remember, what do we read? Only one church in all Macedonia continually supported Paul, and that's the Philippians. So they're, they're the top of the list. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is a separate thing. He was taking up an offering for the people in Jerusalem. So who were the Philippians? They were people that gave what they had and beyond their means, and they begged. Why? I don't know, but I'm assuming to really poor people, you're saying, hey, I'm okay. They're going to be okay in Jerusalem. There's another church that can help in Jerusalem. Thank you. You've given your means. No, they're begging to liquidate what they have to bless the people in Jerusalem. So for people that give in that way, who've given beyond what they have, it's very comforting to communicate to them, and based on your gifts, and my God will supply every needs of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's going to take care of you. That is a promise to affluent people who love Jesus. Yes, but the context is people who gave in a way that was sacrificial. That was at least their lifestyle. We know of that from 2 Corinthians. The only church that gave regularly uh, from the beginning to support the, to support the ministry. And he is assuring them that it will be okay. So I didn't say we can't pray, God, you'll supply my needs. I'm asking you to supply my needs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the context here is a little different than what you may have heard in prosperity theology. In prosperity theology, it's God will supply all of my wants. I define my needs. And they're defined according to the American standard, actually not even the American standard of life. My, my needs are defined by the wealthiest, happiest, healthiest, ideal people I know. The, the, what I see on TV, the glory life of somebody, that's, God's going to meet all my needs according to Christ so that I have that life. That's how it's abused in prosperity theology, yanked completely out of context of who these people were. Who these people were. They were partnering, giving, because they believed in the gospel. They loved Paul. They were grateful. They were in this thing together. And most of all, they wanted to give to our God and Father to be glory forever and ever. Last picture, and this will be super brief. 
The, the, heart of, the heart of gospel fellowship is this give and take mutuality. We're in this together. The goal of gospel fellowship that he's talking about is that we are joined together for the glory of God and we meet needs and we fund reaching others for the glory of God. The last point is really the beauty of gospel fellowship. And admittedly, it doesn't come out quite as clear in this closing as I think the other points do, but I'm still gonna take this from the text. I believe this is in the text. It's perhaps not shouting at us like the other ones are. But the beauty of gospel fellowship is unity. This, this book has been about unity. He's talked about their union a lot. And look at what he says. This is this letter which has been a thanks, it's been an update, but it's also been about their joining together in unity as they navigate pressures from without and from within. First of all, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Here's why that's important. Paul's saying, I love all y'all. I want everybody to hear this. I'm not of the Syntyche party. I'm not just writing to Syntyche's people and, and endorsing her. I'm not of the Euodia party. You would have had to been here a couple weeks ago for that makes sense. Earlier in chapter four, those are two ladies that are having a fight. I'm not of Euodia. I'm not of Syntyche. Greet everyone. This is for everyone in the church. I want everyone to hear everything that I have said. That's really important. There's a, a unity here. It's emphasized throughout. And that, that's the fruit of gospel fellowship is that every saint, we want to be an every saint church. Not we're of this person, we're of that person. These are the in people. These are the out people. These are like we talked about last week. These are the cool kids. These aren't. No, we're, to be an, we're an every saint church. Greet every saint. Everybody. We want everybody to benefit from the word of God, from the fellowship, from our partnership. Our gospel fellowship is, is for everyone. It's indiscriminate. It's just for Christians who are part of everyone. Okay, so that. Then he says, uh, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wow, he's just kind of letting them know, hey, your gifts and support to me, I'm being sustained. And people in Caesar's household are becoming Christians. I'm on the enemy territory. I'm in enemy land and people are being converted. So that's also the fruit of their giving. People are being converted. So he lets them know that. And then this is amazing. Look at how he closes the letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, I read that. I've read that a bunch of times. And, and I thought, well, that's really, that's a nice, it's more than a nice thought. It's the word of God. That's, that's, so it's glorious. But then I read a commentator point out this. What's unusual about that sentence is that spirit is singular. It's not plural. He doesn't say, it would be natural to say, It'd be natural for him to address a group of people and say, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, right? All of you. May, may God be with your spirit individually. May God be with all of your spirits. That's how you would say it. But he says, may God be with your spirit. Look back at chapter 1, verse 27. He uses very similar language. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's just sort of, I don't think it's a dig. I think it's a loving reminder at the end. I'm gonna greet all of you. I'm gonna tell you all this truth. And by the way, may God's grace, the favor of God, power of God, the favor of God to those who deserve his judgment. May the grace of God be with your spirit, one in spirit, for you collectively to experience his grace together. For folks that are fracturing, 
That's good to know that he's saying you together. That is the beauty of gospel fellowship, that when we do what's going on here, and we could apply this way beyond giving, all kinds of subjects. I'm just talking about giving because that's what he's talking about. But, but when we are in this thing for the other, so that Paul can say, thank you for the gift, I love it, but the thing that's most exciting to me is what this means for you, you're gonna be blessed eternally or with the joy of giving or with hearing the report that people in Caesar's household are getting saved or with God blessing you in some wonderful way. I, I don't know what it's gonna be, but I, I'm more excited that you're being blessed. That's gospel fellowship. People are saying they begged for the privilege earlier to give and here they're giving likely beyond their means again. They're doing the same thing. They are giving, that, that is gospel fellowship and partnership. They're in it together. They're not a donor base, they're family and their fellowship is that of being joined together in one spirit. Man, I, I pray, in a minute we're gonna dismiss, and really in a minute we're gonna dismiss, and I'm, I'm gonna, that, that's my dismissal benediction because that's my prayer for us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, one. Every saint, one. That's, that's the hope of the passage. So as we close, a couple application questions before you walk out. It'd be helpful for us to each ask, when I think of giving, especially here, do I give as a partner? Do I see myself tied with you? Do we see ourselves tied together, each of us in the room? Am I tied with you in mission? Is fellowship tangible, giving and receiving for me, which could be more than finances? So we could broaden this out. Is giving of my heart, giving of my time, giving of my gifts, receiving from you. So all that I talked about earlier is, is a real part of it. Giving my heart, receiving from you, sharing our life in Christ, being transparent, being honest, speaking of Christ and what he's doing in our life and what our needs are. All of that, that give and take is part of the fellowship. That's part of it. And then beyond that, that tangible giving to support in tangible ways. Do I give for the glory of God just like they did? Do I steward my finances with a view towards an offering that is a pleasing aroma to God? Do I just cut a check? Or for those of you who are under 40 and have never seen a check, or under 30, you know, we're, I think we're starting to do text giving. We started that, right? Did we start that? that part of the reason is because if you're 25 years old, you don't even own a check and you don't have cash. So this is a way that you can just stay out, do your debit card if you want. Just boom, it's a check. Here it is. Boom, boom. You can do that. How are you doing? LOL. $100 to Grace Church. Whatever. I mean, it's just texted in right at the same time. It's easy, but it should be thoughtful. It should be thoughtful at the, uh, at the same, same time. So we're giving thoughtfully. So... Uh, whether it's a check or a text or whatever, however you do, or it's a bank thing you do out of your bank monthly or something, give online, whatever it is, it, it, it doesn't matter, the, the methodology doesn't matter. What matters is the heart. Am I doing that to worship the Lord? Do I do that for the glory of God? Am I saying, Lord, this is an offering to you. This is out of gratitude for what you've done for me. This is a pleasing aroma. This is, you own everything and I offer this to you. For our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I do this that you'd be glorified forever. Forever. Sorry about that. We're just about done. Do I believe God will supply what I need? I believe this verse does stand on its own. I was just trying to give you the context. Do I live believing God will meet my needs? That's a good word. If you're, if you're strapped with anxiety, fear, worry about how are you going to make it, this is comfort. The Lord is going to take care of you. He is faithful to his people. Supplies our needs. Lastly, am I fostering the beautiful unity that's part of gospel fellowship? That I'm greeting every saint, I'm an every saint Christian, 
I'm for everybody, joined with everybody. And the grace of the Lord Jesus, I want the grace to be with our spirit corporately, not just me. I'm not just here to say, I want the grace of God to be with me, help me, strengthen me, mature me, bless me, grow me up. I want that for all of us. And so it's be with my, be with our spirit corporately together. Those are some questions to apply to this. What a great prayer, what a great heart. Let me pray to close with just verse 23, that that would be our prayer as we wrap up this book for everything he talks about, serving, joy and trial, uh, peacemaking when there's division, pressing on and straining towards the goal. Everything he talks about in this letter, we need the grace of God to walk those out and to know him. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.